Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, as you all know, season nine is about audaciousness, which isn't easy, especially when life throws you curveballs. And my guest today knows the experience of finding purpose through adversity. And so we're going to be doing two episodes with Diego Saez Gil, who's the founder and CEO of Pachama. And we're going to talk about his journey as an entrepreneur. He has started, I think, three businesses at this point, probably more. I know of three. And he has now got this really incredible company. He's had other incredible companies that have had lots of ups and downs. And he's had to learn and rebuild and deal with, I guess, like the sort of, not trauma. I don't want to say trauma. It's I think it is traumatic when your business fails how to deal with it, how to overcome it, how to start again. And we just, we're old friends. And so, you know, we're going to get into it in a real way. It's its really exciting to have Diego on because I invested in two of his companies. I was there for the ups and downs. And so our conversation is super real. So you're going to love it. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about Diego. Diego Saizquil is a climate tech entrepreneur originally from Argentina. He's the co-founder of Pachama, a startup with the mission of restoring nature to solve climate change by harnessing satellite data, AI, and the web to help drive funding to effective reforestation and nature conservation. That is a mouthful. His company has been awarded the most innovative AI company of 2021 by Fast Company, as well as the 20 most impactful startups by Fortune Magazine. And he is a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded Blue Smart and WeHostels, two travel tech companies that were acquired by major industry leaders. Now, Diego was born in Tucumán, Argentina, and he is a descendant of indigenous people of South America. And he currently resides in the forest mountains of California. And here's what you're going to learn today in our conversation with Diego. We're going to talk about how he found his North Star as an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about how he launched those first businesses, We Hostels and Blue Smart. Talk about the process of building them. And, you know, he had an amazing virality with Blue Smart. This thing was one of the top ever Indiegogo campaigns. We're going to talk about how you create that virality, which is, it's kind of like a secret playbook that he has the access to. He's going to share that with us today. And we're going to talk about. Raising capital. Diego is a master of raising capital. He's also an immigrant from a place in Argentina where people are pretty shy. He'll talk about this. It's like not a braggy culture. And so coming to the U.S. and figuring out how to pitch like an American where we're much more comfortable kind of saying how great we are was something he he talks about really interestingly. So we're going to talk about that as well. 
Now, my small ask today is to go check out my first book, The 10% Entrepreneur. I write about Diego in the book. I feature him, his story. So go check it out. You'll learn more about him and learn more about how to be a part-time entrepreneur. All right, and now onto the interview. As you know, I start every interview with the same question, and Diego is no exception. So I started our conversation by asking him this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Probably the first big decision that got me to where I am today was uh, jumping out of my country and deciding to go onto another continent by myself to find my life. And that's uh, in 2007, after I graduated from college in Argentina, and uh, I was fortunate to get uh, half a scholarship to do my master's in Barcelona. And I just save up money enough to pay for one month of rent in, in, in Barcelona and, and decide to leave and, and move to, to Spain from Argentina. Wow. That's a kind of scary, actually, only having a month of savings in the bank account. It was scary and it's not recommended. No. <laughs> it's perfect preparation to become an entrepreneur. Indeed. Yes. I had to survive for one month with two euros in Barcelona. Wow. Uh, because, you know, so my plan was to arrive to get a job and then with that job pay for, you know, my expenses. But it took me a little bit longer to get a job than I, I thought. And so literally for one month, I had to survive by going on a street bicycle, you know, these public bicycles in Barcelona, uh, going to, to school and to, you know, look for jobs in my bike, eating rice and, and not going out. Uh, I, I, you know, like all my classmates at school were, you know, doing get togethers and I couldn't go because I was broke. Right. But that, that's what it took. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I you know, I lived in Barcelona and I had a bike that I bought, but it got stolen two days after I got there. So you're better off to just use the public bikes. Now, let's go back. Okay, so as I have mentioned in the intro, you and I go way back. I met you, oof, I mean, it was early 2010s, call it like 2011, right. 2012. And yeah. uh, so we have a lot of ground to cover because your story is amazing. And I just want to start, I want to go back to Cafe Minerva in New York City. Uh, it was right around the corner from my apartment. It was Halloween. It snowed that Halloween. You and I were introduced by a group called NXTP Labs that I had made a little investment in. And you were a company. They were an accelerator. They'd invest in your company. You're in New York. You're starting this company that was called Embed Me. <laughs> Not later named We Hostels. Let's just go back to that first meeting. Where were you in your life at that point? Yeah. So um, after uh, two years in Barcelona, where I did my master's and I, I worked uh, a little bit in consulting, I decided that I wanted to make another jump again. So I, I moved from Barcelona to New York and I arrived through an internship. But what I really wanted to do was to come and become an entrepreneur. That was, you know, uh, always been my, my desire to start something on my own. And I came to New York and once again, uh, not recommended, decided to start a startup without money, without connections, without knowing how to start a startup in one of the most competitive cities in the planet, right? And, you know, so I think there is a theme, a lot of, um, 
boldness and unconsciousness on making big jumps, you know, uh, uh, in my career many times. But that's what I did. And so when we met, I was at the beginning of the journey of becoming an entrepreneur. And, and I want to say I'm so grateful. You were one of the first people to trust me. Uh, you were one of my first allies. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. But yeah, I remember we met. I was, I guess, racing my first seed round. I I was still learning all the terms of, you know, seed round and safe notes and angel investors and uh, equity. And, but I remember that we spoke for five minutes about the business, but for 60 minutes about life and Argentina and New York and our stories. And, and there was a human connection there. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you, you told me that you wanted to invest in the company and the adventure began. Yeah, and for everybody, I just checked the date. It was October 31st, 2013. So, you know, that's like nine years ago. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's funny because when you tell that story, I was figuring out what the hell I was doing in my life. I had not made any investments yet. You were my first one. I was very nervous. I felt like such a fake. But I remember thinking this guy's really special. And what was funny is we were introduced. I remember going on Facebook and looking you up. And we had one connection in common who was this guy from Argentina I'd randomly met at a party in Paris. So I think you brought along to our first meeting. He happened to be in New York. And uh, like a couple of years later, I remember we had like 372 mutual connections. So like you pulled me right. into your world too. It was really special. And I remember when I wrote that check, you know, you, you were starting this social travel company. And the reason why I was so excited was I had been traveling that summer. I don't know where I was, somewhere in, I think it was Morocco. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could find other travelers? And so you had this app that would allow you to find other people that were staying in your city and meet them and be their friends. And so I thought, wow, this is a cool idea. I wish I could do this myself. I'm not an entrepreneur like Diego is, but he's doing this idea I believe in. The name Embed Me, Embed.me was a little bit, let's put it this way, you changed it because it was a little aggressive. Um, yep. It had the connotations that may have been negative. But uh, you, you, you went on and you raised over a million dollars. And you ended up selling this company to another travel company called Student Universe. And it wasn't like a great, huge, big success, right? I mean, like it was a fine outcome, but talk about that. Cause I think people think, oh, I mean, a lot of times, like I remember you had your exit and everybody thinks all of a sudden you're like a billionaire and that you're, you know, Elon Musk. What was it really like? You sold your company. Like what, how did your life change from that? Yeah, um, you're right. Uh, th that project, started on a hackathon on a startup weekend in New York and, you know, started as a small idea. You're right. Facebook had allowed to connect uh, their social graph with other apps. And we thought, well, we can build an app that makes it very easy to book a hostel or a, or a hotel. And, and then you can see who else is going to be there. And then you can make friends. And this was the beginning of the social and mobile uh, technology revolution, right? Um, uh, empowered by by the iPhone and Facebook. And and yeah, we got started. But as, as I said, it, it was my first time starting a company. You make a lot of mistakes the first time. That said, we did build an app that people loved. And we had hundreds of thousands of students using the app. And we had uh, hundreds of hostels listing on the app as well. 
and we benefited from being, you know, one of the first on on the on the App Store. When you look for hostels or hotels, we were one of the first results. But there was a moment in which uh, started becoming very competitive. Booking.com and Airbnb and others were spending a lot of money on advertising, and we didn't have a huge budget. And there was a moment in which Student Universe, uh, which is uh, now part of a bigger company called Flight Center, they came and they said, look, you guys have this awesome app. We have millions of students that uh, use our website. Why don't we come together and we acquire you? And for us, I mean, it was it was very early as a company, but for us it was a way to, okay, you know what? Uh, it's dangerous out there. Let's land into a bigger uh, ship and, and let, let's build uh, the products and the dreams that we want as part of a bigger company. And so we did. And you're right. It wasn't a, a huge acquisition at all. It was just, okay, let's get money to pay back investors and to, you know, get some money for us to, to settle and, um, and to have a good place to keep building. Uh, we wanted to build, right? We want to build apps. And that's what we did. So it didn't completely change my life from an economic perspective, although I was starting from so low, right? Arriving as an immigrant <laughs> in the U.S. that did have a positive impact. All of a sudden, in fact, I moved from uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn to Manhattan. But no, I think that the biggest change was, okay, now I had more credibility. I was an entrepreneur who could build and sell a company. It gave me more self-confidence to go and think bigger. And, and yeah, it was a fun first adventure. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. 
Yeah, and to your credit, by the way, I mean, you return everybody's capital. And mm. that's a lot more than a lot of investments I ever did. So like when you do that and you do it quickly, people will invest in your next venture. And in fact, what happened was we went back to that very same cafe. I think we sat in the same chairs a couple of years later. It's, yeah. it's gone now, sadly. I hate to say it's, oh, really? oh. it's, it's like another place. We can go. It's it's a wine bar. It's not the same. But but right. we went back to the same place, Cafe Minerva. And uh, we sat down and you said, I have a new idea. And you had been, you know, you had your job running this business, first independently and then as part of a larger company. But, you know, when you turn on the entrepreneur, you, you, know, you can't turn it off. And you started coming up, dreaming up a new idea, which was the world's first smart suitcase. And so we sat down in that cafe and you told me your vision for this company called Blue Smart. So tell us about how you got started on your next venture, this company called Blue Smart. Yeah, I mean, that was an idea that I got after uh, an airline lost a suitcase of mine. And of course, I was paying attention to, uh, I always like to pay attention to uh, the edge of technology, right? What are the latest innovations that can allow new things, right? So I was paying attention to the uh, Internet of Things revolution, right? And uh, the first, you know, smart thermostats and smart uh, watches, smart um, objects were, you know, popping up. And, and I thought, well, uh, there should be smart travel products that you can track, that you can interact with, uh, with data. And I went and I looked up and there, there was nothing. There wasn't a smart suitcase or smart bag, anything. So, but of course I had no idea how to build soft, you know, but hardware. Now I knew how to build software, but I didn't know how to manufacture a product. Um, so I didn't think that I was going to build it, but I just wanted to, I just wanted it for myself, right? I, I thought it would be super cool to have a suitcase that I can track. So I met this guy that I get introduced to, Tommy. Uh, you know Tommy Perucci. He was another Argentine who had just moved to New York. And he had experience on building physical products. In Argentina, he had built a company making clothing and uh, merchandising. So I told him the idea and I said, like, dude, you should do this idea that I got a smart suitcase and I, I can help you out. I can be an advisor. And he was like, well, let's do it together. Um, and he convinced me, he convinced me to, to jump and, and do it together. And we started, frankly, as a side project, as a 10% entrepreneur type of project, right? We started researching and we started preparing a crowdfunding campaign. We said, okay, let's launch a Kickstarter or Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign Let's see whether this is something that people want, and then let's go and decide to build it or not. And that's what we did. We uh, made a very funny video uh, that we filmed at the Bukebus station in, in Buenos Aires, uh, but that we, make, we made it look like JFK. And uh, you can still find it on, on YouTube if you go and, and search Blue Smart First Smart Suitcase. And we launched as a suitcase that you could track with GPS and 3G that you could lock and unlock from your phone, that you could get notified if it got separated from you and had all these cool tech features. And turns out that people wanted it. We pre-sold almost $4 million in a couple of months on this crowdfunding campaign. And, and there is where we had, we, you know, we had to say, okay, 
let's build a company to ship this product. You know, the, I remember that when it went viral. It was amazing. I, I owned that suitcase, the first one. And I remember just like taking it to the airport and feeling so cool. Like I'd lock it and unlock it just to do it. Kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was, it's a beautiful, it was a beautiful product. And I remember when it went viral in Indiegogo and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a competitive person and I love metrics and I would, I would check it all the time. I got all my friends to buy one, you know, it was amazing. And I, remember, I, I think I bought the first one actually. Now that I remember that I woke yeah, up at four yeah, in the yeah, morning. Yeah. <laughs> I have it somewhere. It's somewhere in the apartment. It's in the apartment somewhere. But, uh, but I remember, you know, it's kind of funny because people think we don't talk about crowdfunding anymore. And I just, I just ran into this guy who worked at Kickstarter and I was like, do people still do crowdfunding? But back then it was a thing. And it seems so and kind of like effortless, like, oh, they went viral on Indiegogo. But tell us, I just, it's really interesting because I know behind the scenes, there was a ton of work that you did. Like, yeah. it, obviously, how, how did you, how did you create that virality? How did you, did you, I mean, did you expect it to be that big? Like, what was it that kind of made it go? What created the FOMO, as it were, to yeah. make it the big thing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we definitely went and studied all the other crowdfunding campaigns that had gone viral. And we tried to, you know, understand what did they have in common. And what we saw was, of course, a cool product idea that was innovative and that solved the problem of people. Uh, number two, uh, funny, shareable, short video that, you know, people want to engage with, um, a good PR campaign, you know, with, uh, coverage by different media outlets, um, and influencers maybe sharing it, uh, with their following. So we said, okay, we had to manufacture that. We had to make that happen. And, 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 and that's what we did. You know, we, we got some friends, some creative friends to help us with the script of the video. Um, we, uh, you know, also got a, a, a PR firm uh, with friends to help us, you know, uh, secure some articles. We reached out to influencers. And, and then the day that we launched the campaign, we were shamelessly spammy. Uh, we <laughs> emailed every person we knew, right? And yeah, as entrepreneurs, you have to do that. You have to um, go and there are moments in which you have to not be ashamed of going and very loudly telling the world, hey, I'm working on this. Would you like to support me? Would you like to share this with, uh, with your friends? And it's scary. You know, there is always some imposter syndrome. There's always some, oh, you know, I don't want to spam my friends. But but that's what it takes to create something new. FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, do you think, I mean, looking back at that time, like you said, you had done your first project. You you, you came in as an, into the States as an immigrant. You really didn't have, you know, a lot of savings or stability. Yeah. You made the first thing successful. So you had some confidence, a little mm -hmm. bit more in savings. But it wasn't like, you know, you were comfortable, as it were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the hunger, like, did that come from the fact that you just had to make it work because you had no other option? Or is that just something that you've always had as, as an entrepreneurial thinker? I think both. Um, I think that, uh, you know, so in, in Argentina, I was fortunate to grow up in a middle-class family and, and we, we never had any, uh, you know, uh, big needs in Argentina. So, so I, I had a, 
but I always had this, you know, drive to make projects and to do adventures with my friends, right? So I did have an inner intrinsic energy, but add to that being an immigrant and being broke and having to show the world your value. And yeah, that's a very strong fuel that I'm grateful for. I think it is not a coincidence that so many immigrants, uh, so many successful entrepreneurs are immigrants. I was actually this week at uh, a conference of uh, climate uh, entrepreneurs organized by Bill Gates uh, Breakthrough Energy Ventures. And we were in a table and all of a sudden I observed and the majority were immigrants from India, from Sweden, from, you know, South America. And I think that, you know, and I, I sent on, t- on Twitter, uh, immigrants, we get the job done, you know, the, the quote from Alexander. Yeah. And I do think that there is something very powerful about, um, yeah, having to make it in a new country. Um, you have no option but to get the job done. Right. So yeah, I'm grateful for that. It's funny because part of me says, I, I mean, I get that, right. It's sort of like, you know, you, you have no other recourse, but to get it done at the same time, you know, the rules, the social conventions that people are like too embarrassed or too nervous, like, Oh, what you, you don't have to worry about that. You're coming from outside the system, but there's right. an interesting thing you told me once that I'll never forget that I repeat all the time, by the way. Yeah. When, Cause I, you know, I was just actually in, um, in Serbia, talking to a venture capitalist who was raising a fund. And he was talking about pitching in America. And I said, listen, you know, the thing about pitching to Americans is that a lot of people from outside the U.S. don't feel comfortable telling you how great they are. And I remember, mm. and I told him, I said, this guy, Diego, told me one time, Americans, they go to school every day and they do show and tell when they're little kids. And so they're, we are taught as little kids to tell you like, I brought this book in and it's the greatest book in the world because of this, or I brought, you know, whatever I once brought in, this is gross, but my dad had shot a deer cause we live in Maine and I, he had cut off the hand of the deer, the little forearm. And I brought that in as show and tell to tell people how great the deer was, which is unfortunate. And I apologize to anybody who's an animal rights activist. I, I can't believe my parents let me do that. You can take it up with them. But the point is that we do that as children. And I remember you, I was like, God, that's really true. We are trained to be salespeople in this right. country. And so, yeah, it is interesting just to think about, about that whole thing. So, cause that was, I think was something that you identified was really hard for you. Yeah, no, I, it was funny because, you know, so I'm not from Buenos Aires and people in Buenos Aires also do have, you know, uh, as you know, lots of self-confidence. I'm from a small town in the North of Argentina, right? where I think that the culture is to be humble, right? Is to be, yeah, not, not to, it's it's not seen very positively to be too showy off, right? But I arrived to New York and everybody I met uh, in the first sentence, they were telling me about how great they were, right? I'm an award-winning, you know, uh, filmmaker. I'm a, you know, well-funded entrepreneur. <laughs> and and I realized, well, yeah, I mean, in the U.S., you have to, you know, show and tell who you are and what is your value. And I think as entrepreneurs, you have to do that too, right? Of course, without um, without being arrogant, and, 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 and we can talk later about some other spiritual uh, learnings that I had later on, but um, without believing your own character, you can still speak about your value right that's a perfect place for us to stop for today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave it there 
just to summarize, you've started Blue Smart. You've had one of the top, I think it was the top 15 most viral, successful Indiegogo campaigns in history at this point. You're about to get into Y Combinator, raise a bunch of venture capital. You're on top of the world. Um, and so we're going to leave it there. And next week, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what happened with that venture, about your new venture, Pachama, which has been an incredible journey as well and very exciting. And we'll talk about some of the things you learned along the way. So everybody stick around. Come back next week because I'm not going to tell you anymore. You can Google it, but this is what we call a cliffhanger in the immediate business. And we'll see you next week. You're creating FOMO, my friend. Very good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.